0: All right, good morning. We're actually going to change up the order a little bit today. We're going to have the message now and then we're going to respond in prayer, pray after we have the message and then close in worship together. But I want to just kind of preface today. Let me grab one thing. Um, As we start, I told you guys last week as a church that we're going to be going through this material called Multiply. We're going to go through that as a church outside of Sunday, but we're going to use that on Sunday morning as an outline. We're still going to God's Word. We're still going to walk through God's Word. God's Word is going to speak to us, but we're using this that points to God's Word as an outline for us as we consider discipleship, as we consider life in the church, and as we consider God's Word. So as we start to teach through this, the hope is, is that everyone has this book. We've got them in the back afterwards you can grab one and then you'd read section by section before the message on sunday you'd read the section before and then i would preach through according to or using that as an outline so we process that together as a church as a body and then in the week following that you and your discipleship and your relationships would be considering that talking to each other about that how is that working itself out in my life so that's the goal is you'd read the section ahead of time we would teach on it sunday morning and then you guys would walk through it the following week as well as prepare for the next week Okay? And each section is like, uh, I think this time, what was it, Larry? Ten pages? Ten pages. <laughs> Larry Larry committed to me last night. He was going to read it. Did you read it? Uh-oh. <laughs> we'll talk after. Um, but just to give you guys a heads up, and so I think each week I'll talk about this, but It's going to be a little bit different as we go through this for at least the next nine weeks or so, that this is the way we're going to teach and that that as we gather on Sunday morning, that this will be a little bit more like this is a family gathering where if you're part of this family, this is for you, but others are welcome, friends are welcome, others are welcome, everyone's welcome. But as I talk, some of these things I'm talking to, I'm talking to family members and and we encourage you to listen on, we encourage you to consider what we're talking about as we talk about being disciples of Jesus Christ who make disciples, that that's what we're to be about. That's our mission. And so it's a little bit more of a family meeting where everyone is welcome versus an open house, um, if that makes sense. That's the best analogy I have. So let me just pray before I start. Father God, I thank you so much. Lord, that you have loved us. Lord, that you have pursued us. Lord, that you are calling us to follow you. Lord, and that you promise that you will be with us until the end of the age, Father, that you will be with us, that your presence will be with us, Father, that we can trust you. Lord, I pray by grace, through faith, that we'd be able to trust your word, that we would be able to respond to it, we'd be able to hear it, and we'd be able to be doers of your word as well, Father, that we would believe it so much that we'd actually act based upon it, Father, that would, you would transform our thinking, that you would transform our behavior, Father, that you would transform... Our entire lives, so Lord, I just pray that now, Lord, I pray that uh, as I share this, Father, as I share that this would be Your Word, Lord, that it comes from um, from Scripture, Father. That this is not me, Father. I pray that I would decrease and that You would increase. I pray that uh, You would give grace, uh, just favor now, Father. I pray that through Your Spirit, Lord, You would just enable her to interpret uh, as well into Spanish, Father, that all might understand, that all might listen, that we might all be able to participate. So Father, we just ask this morning that you would be glorified through this time as we consider your word and as we consider your call to discipleship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so you guys can see that the... uh, After I read through that, after I studied through that, after I considered those scriptures, it's a simple concept, but if you've tried it, it's hard to follow. This idea of discipleship. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. I'm probably not going to say a whole lot that you haven't heard today. Or you haven't heard before today. But the hard part is walking through that. The hard part is actually trusting and by faith moving forward. But as I started this. And even as we came to California. And as we said let's start this church called Living Stones. I had to decide. Like God why? Why are we going to do this? As you come this morning, as we gather in church, sometimes we do what we've always done and say, well, well, why? If you've got kids, you know that the kids, one of the most frequent questions they ask is, why? The most simple things is, say, why? And I think that we need to ask, like, well, why are we doing this? Why are we sitting here? Why are we in this building? Why are you guys sitting there? Why are we worshiping and singing songs? Why are we listening to God's word? Why are we doing this? And so for me, as we started... Living Stones, it was, we need a mission statement. This is why we exist. This is the purpose why we exist. This is why we're gathering together. This is what we're doing it for. And so on the first slide, we have that mission statement, and I talked about it last week. But it's bound together through and for the gospel. We are a diverse people who collectively seek to fully proclaim, by word and deed, the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ by being and making His disciples. Okay, the main point is to proclaim and to demonstrate the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. But I want to walk through this step by step like I did last week but give us a foundation as we move forward as why we're considering discipleship. Why is it that we're going to spend all this time talking about what it means to follow Jesus Christ? So through and for the Gospel. Our unity that we have as a body, if you are a member of this family, if you are following Jesus Christ, the only thing that we have to have in common is Jesus Christ. That's what brings us together. That's what we stand on. We say we stand firm in Jesus Christ. We don't stand based on our ethnicity. We don't stand based on our languages. We don't stand based on where I came from. We stand together. We are brothers and sisters because we are a son of the King. Because of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. That's it. That's the unity we have. That's the unity that will last. Everything else will change. Everything else will, might be different later. But what we have that will not change is Jesus Christ. And that's what we come together around. Through the gospel. And then we come together for that gospel. For the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather. That's why we're here. To collectively seek. We don't do it alone. There is no such thing as a disciple that's alone. There's no such thing as an isolated disciple. We have to do we have to follow Christ. We have to be disciples together in community. You can't be a disciple all on your own. This is not about you. This is about God and as he brings us together. And as we talked about in First John, we get to share this fellowship with him and we get to share this fellowship with each other. So we do it together as a body, as a community, as brothers and sisters. And that's the only way. As God talks about demonstrating this fullness of Christ, as we come together as a body, I have certain things that I can demonstrate about Jesus Christ in my life, but I am limited. But as we come together as a body, and God makes us complete, and He brings all these parts together, we build ourselves up in love, and we actually demonstrate the fullness of Christ as we're together as a church, as a community, as a family. I can't do on my own what we can do together to be able to demonstrate and proclaim Jesus Christ in our lives and in this neighborhood. We have to have each other. And we do that to proclaim what? The supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's why we're here. To proclaim His supremacy, that He is number one, that He is the priority, and that His worth, His value, He's beyond anything else. He's the most important thing in our lives. He's the most important thing that people can know. That relationship with Him, this eternal life, that is why we're here, to proclaim that, that Jesus Christ is the highest priority and He's of greatest value. Everything we do should move towards that. Everything we do should proclaim that. And then the last part. How do we do that? We do that by being and making His disciples. It's that simple. We proclaim the supremacy. We proclaim the worth of Jesus Christ together. We do that together. We do that through and for the Gospel. But the way that we do that, the how of that statement, the how that we actually proclaim and demonstrate is by being... And then by making disciples. That's our mission statement. That's why we exist. It's to reclaim the supremacy and worth. And we do that through being and making disciples. Simple concept. To be and to make a disciple. It's not easy. Alright. So I want to show you guys a video. As we go through this. This is a video for the Multiply material. This will give you a heart behind what we're doing. And I'll go from there. So as you heard him say, he said this is the greatest mission on earth. This is the greatest thing that can be accomplished on this earth and we get to participate. And we get to be a part of it. And yet as I look at that, I'm like, that's the strategy? That's the strategy that, that, this, that the God of the universe, that the creator of the world, that he's the sovereign God. And he says, this is what I want you to do. And he sent his son, and his son gathered these men that followed him. And by the end of three years, only 11 were left, and one traded, uh, turned his back on him. And as he went to the cross, all 11, no one really stood by his side. And yet he says, I'm going to take these 11 men. it took you three years, the son of God, to create 11 followers. Not very effective. And he had this group of men. And he says, I'm going to take you. And he comes to them and he says, now you go and make disciples. And you're going to go and make disciples who make disciples. And that's God's strategic plan. That's God's grand plan as to how he's going to carry out this greatest mission that the earth has ever seen. To go to every nation. So you guys look to Matthew
1: 28.
0: And as you look in my Bible, this is the end of the book of Matthew. Right? This is what we're going to read. The last... Five verses there. Verses 16 through 20. This is the end. Jesus has come back. Jesus has been resurrected. He gathers His disciples. He tells them to meet Him in Galilee. And that's where we pick up. And it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's not our plan, that's His plan. It's not our way, it's His way. This is what He's asked us to do, this is what He told His disciples to do. And we have to decide, we have to consider, are we doing this? Are we doing this strategic plan? Are we following what Jesus Christ has set out for us? And this week I was trying to teach my kids Philippians 2.14 it says do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing or arguing or whining I tried to add in my own words but that's the idea and as we had our time this morning with each, or this last week with each of them I would sit down and i say so why do you think that you complain? Why do you think that is? You whine when I say, Karina, you need to do so and so so. I oh, but Papi, but Karina, my Oh, Oh know Papi, but so... And She smiles. And she says, because I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. I say, well, why don't you want to do what I'm asking you to do? She says, well, because I think I know a way that's better, a way that's going to be better for me. And I say, well, what does that mean? What are you saying when you say that that you think you know a better way than I know? She's like, well, I just know a better way because this is about me. And I said, well, who put me over you? Who put me in charge of you? Who put me in your life to raise you up and to train you and to discipline you? And she's like, God did. I said, so when you tell me that you don't like the way that I'm telling you what to do, who are you actually telling that you don't like the way that they're doing things? She said, I guess I'm telling God I don't like the way he's doing things. I guess I don't like the way that God is put you in charge of me. I guess I don't like the way that God has created this situation. I said, so who are you complaining to? Who are you whining at? Who are you disputing with? And she's like, I guess I'm disputing with God. And I said, do you hear me whine? Do you hear me complain? She said, yes, yes. Oh. Do you hear me grumble? Yes. I said, well, this is the deal. All right. You hear me whining, complaining, or grumbling. You say, papi, you're whining. And I'm going to say, Karina, you are right. I am wrong. I'm sorry. She said, that's cool. That's cool. I says, but the deal is, is when I hear you whining or complaining or grumbling, I get to say, Karina, you're complaining. Karina, you're whining. And you have to say, you're right, papi. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. She got it, though. She realized, like, for her to complain about this situation was her to complain about what God was doing in her life, what God had put in place. Responding to God that way doesn't make sense. But what we've done with discipleship is God said, this is the plan. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to baptize them. I want you to teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And you're going to go and do that and make disciples who make disciples. And it's like we've said, well, that's a great way, God. That's really cool. I understand that. But I've got a better way. I've got a better way that I'm going to live up my life. I've got a better way that I'm going to do discipleship. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to show up at church. I'll find a church where I can come in. I can come to a service and I can hear a message and I can feel good about that. And then sometimes during the week, I can be in your word or I can pray. And every once in a while, I'll connect with someone else and I'll share my life with them. But I'll do it on my terms and I'll do it in a way that doesn't impact me, in a way that doesn't challenge me, in a way that doesn't inconvenient me. Because I think that's a better way. I can do discipleship better than the way you set up. I mean, you really want me to follow you and give my entire life to you and die? to carry my cross, to to forsake all that I have? You really want me to do that? I think I've got a better way. And so I want to ask you, in your life, are you trying to have a better way of discipleship? Have you told God, I've got a better way, versus this way that He's told us? And so if we're going to talk about discipleship, we have to answer some questions. We need to know what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. And some questions that I wrote down as I was processing through this was just simply, what is a disciple? Who are disciples? Where do we go and make disciples? To what people should we go and make disciples? How long do we have to be and make disciples? Is this a short-term commitment? Is this a year? Is this ten years? Is this our entire life? How long do I actually have to do this? Am I required to do this forever? So what is required of a disciple? And my promise to you is that I'm not going to make this up. My promise to you is you're not going to hear what Brit thinks. My promise to you is that we will go, we will find these answers in God's word, that that's where we understand, that that's where we go to, to understand what it means to be and to make disciples. So the goal is that we'd understand God's word, we'd understand what the Bible says, and that it would transform our thoughts, that it would transform our actions, and it would transform our lives. So what is a disciple? Anybody? Who read the section? One word. Give me one word for a disciple. Follower. All right. As simple put, a disciple is a follower. And I would tell you that the context or the classroom for following is life. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, meet me in the synagogue. And I'll teach you all of my doctrine. I'll teach you all the things you need to understand. He says, come and walk with me, and I'll show you how to be fishers of men. Come and walk with me. You can see my life. If you look at John chapter 1, verse 35-39, through 39, it says, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John, the apostle John. And it says, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following him and said, "Why are you, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So where was John? Look at the first verse. He was with his disciples. When he told them who Jesus was, what did they do? They started to follow, and they wanted to say, Where are you staying? Where are you living? What are you doing? I want to watch you. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, come. He says, come and you will see. Come and you can watch me. Come and you can see every aspect of my life. Come and you can watch how I act, what I say, what I do, what I think. I'll teach you everything through my life as you walk with me. And so we have to take that term literally. We have to literally follow Jesus. He wants to teach us in every aspect of our lives because he wants to change every aspect of our life. He wants to be in every part of our lives. And I don't think that as they followed him, as you look through different gospel accounts, they had any idea what they were doing when they followed Jesus. They had no idea what this was going to lead to. They had no idea how difficult it would be. They had no idea what the end would be. But they just, just chose to follow him and they trusted him. And he says, come and I'll show you. Come and you can watch. And the one time that I've experienced that in my life is when we were deciding... We'd been married, we had one kid, I had a good job, and say, are we really going to do this ministry thing, are we really going to follow this call that we feel that God has on our lives? And for us, that meant that we needed to move from Atlanta to Chicago, that I had to go to school, that I was going to do school and work and church and kids, and from there, one kid to four kids, and what would this mean? And so I went away, and I felt like God wanted this for us, but I went to the, to the woods, went to the mountains. When you're in Georgia, we actually have woods, okay? We have real mountains with trees on them and everything. And so I went out for three days and I went on my own. I backpacked in. I went on this backcountry trail and I'm like, I'm just going to go here and I'm just going to spend time in the Word. I'm just going to pray to the Lord and I want Him to confirm that this is the step that He has for us. And actually, I was asking God, I was like, I want you to show me what you have for me. I want you to show me what our ministry is going to look like. What's it going to look like in Chicago and where are we going to go from there? And are we going to go overseas? Are we going to go to Argentina? What's this going to happen? And I wanted God to show that to me. And as I read and as I was going through the book of Joshua, God kept telling me, one step at a time, one step at a time. As he told Joshua, he says, one step at a time. He didn't tell Joshua what the end was. I'll take you one step at a time. And I'd been out three days, and it was on Sunday morning, and I had slept. My brother gave me a a hammock, a cocoon hammock, that I could tie up between two trees. And I was sleeping on the edge of this big canyon, and the north georgia mountains could see over the canyon and the moon was coming in the stars and it was bright and it was light there and I woke up at four o'clock I couldn't sleep anymore that hasn't happened to me since but I was like I I, I gotta go, I gotta go, I wanna get home, I wanna talk to Nidia, I wanna tell her what God has shown me like I I really feel confirmed in this, let's go I put my backpack on, I put everything together and I started to go up into the woods and as I got out of the canyon I started to go into the woods it was dark, it was still four in the morning all that was out was the moon and the stars. And I get into the brush and I can't say anything. And I'm fumbling through my backpack and I find my light. I have a headlamp and I put my headlamp on. But then all I can see is the brush in front of me. I can't see anything. I don't know where I'm at. And I've got to find this trail. And the only way that the trail is marked is by these little reflectors that they've put on the trees. And I'm like, I've got to find the reflector. I've got to find that trail. Like, here I am. I'm lost. I can't see anything. It's dark. And all I have is this dumb headlamp that I'm supposed to find my way out with. So after pushing through the brush, All of a sudden, I catch a reflection. I catch one of the reflectors. Man, my heart started racing. I was so excited, like I found it. I found the trail, and then I'm like, should I wait? Should I just wait till I can see everything? Should I wait till I can see all that's in front of me before I go out on this trail? And I said, no, I'm going to push for it. I want to go home. I want to talk to Nita. And so I would go past that reflector, and I'd try and find my way on the trail, and I'm going around, and I've got my headlamp. I'm looking for the next reflector. And just when I feel like, oh, I've gone too far, I can't even find my way back to that reflector where I was, then all of a sudden I would see the next one. And I'd go to that one, and I'd go past it, and I'd wait, and I'd see the next one. And I'd go and I'd see the next one. And I felt like God had just shown me what I'd seen in His Word about, no, I'm going to take you one step at a time. I'm not going to show you everything that's before you. I'm not going to show you what your life is going to look like, what it's going to require. Because now, looking back, if He would have shown me all that, I might have had a different response for Nidia. But God showed me one step at a time. He showed me what I needed to to see. And He says, I will be with you. And my point for that story, my point with going through all that, is that when we say, God, I want to follow you. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot comprehend. You cannot understand what it will mean for your life. You don't know what's going to happen. But God says, I will be with you till the end of the age. I will be present with you. I will walk with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will walk with you. Trust me, this is a step I'm asking you to do. I want you to follow me. And so that's what God wants for us with discipleship. And as we do that, we have to realize that Jesus, He's the teacher. We're the disciples. We are following Jesus. If you look at the next verse that I've got up there, Luke 6, verse
1: 40,
0: it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The goal of discipleship is to be like Jesus in every aspect of our life. Jesus doesn't want us just to understand his teaching. He doesn't want us to have that knowledge. He actually wants us to live it out. He wants to transform every aspect, every part of our lives. He says, come with me and you can watch every part of my life and it's going to transform every part of your life. And so that's the question this morning. Has Jesus, are you a disciple, is he transforming every part of your life? Or are there parts of your life saying, you know, it's great, you can transform these parts, you can transform these parts that other people see, but when I'm by myself, this part that I hold on to, no, 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 you can't have that. You're not going to transform that. I'm not giving you that part. Or is there any part? Is there any part in your life that Jesus has truly transformed? Because that's what He wants. That's what discipleship will do. He's the teacher, and we're the disciples. But before we can be disciples, Jesus said one thing prior to that. He said one thing that we had to do. I can't just go, I can't just go from where I'm at and start to follow Jesus. He says you have to repent. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. You need to repent. Look at John 1, verse, or I'm sorry, it's actually Mark 1, uh, verse 14 through 15. It said now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So repentance is first. You can't follow Jesus without repenting. I wish it was a different way. I wish I could tell you something differently. But the scripture is clear. Jesus is clear. To follow me, you need to repent. And so we have to understand, if we're going to follow Christ, what does it mean to repent? Have we repented? Have we come to that place? And so I want to go through Ephesians chapter 2. And first we'll look at uh, verse 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Notice how it says in verse 2, it says, In which you once walked following... We were following the course of the world. We were following the prince of the power of air. We were po- following the evil one. We were following according to our own desires, according to our own flesh, according to our own passions, according to what I want for myself, not what God has for me. We were all following in a different direction. Repentance is required of everyone. If you, were, Everyone either was or is helpless. Everyone either was or is following the world. Everyone either was or is following the enemy. All of us. All of us have been there or all of us are there. That's the truth, that's that's what we see here. And everyone either was or is destined for God's wrath. It's very plain, it's very simple. If we follow the enemy, if we follow our own desires, then we're destined for God's wrath. And you can say that and go, Oh man, that's not very loving. But this is a holy God. This is a God that is unlike us. He's completely holy. He's completely perfect. He's completely sovereign. And we are not. And we fall short and we sin and we are separated from Him. And there is no way to be related there's no way to be in relationship with Him outside of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that we have for salvation. It's just punishment that we be separated from God for all of eternity. And now look at verse four. These are my two favorite, ver- or two favorite words in all of Scripture. It says, but God. But God. All of those things, but God. It's just crazy when you think about it. All of these things, but God. We were helpless, but God. We were following the enemy. We were following our own passions, but God. But God intervened. And if you look at verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised, raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Jesus, or in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." So why did God intervene? Because He's merciful. He says, I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. And because of His love, He says, I'm going to give you grace. He says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Not only am I not going to give you the punishment you you do deserve, but I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. He says, I'm going to shower you with my love. I'm going to shower you with my grace. I'm going to give you this opportunity by grace to repent and through faith to follow me. God gives us that. That's the grace of God, that we would have the opportunity, that He would call us, that He would move in our hearts, and we'd say, I want to repent, I want to turn, and I want to follow you. And it's not one thing we talk about in our culture, like, okay, I'm going to believe... But let me figure out the following thing. But it's one thing together. It can't be separate. If I believe, then I follow. If I was going in this direction, and I was following my own desires, I was following the world, I was following the enemy, I've got to decide, I've got to turn, I've got to go the entire other direction. It's not that I turn, and I just stop here, and I look at God, it's that I would follow Him. I'm going to follow one thing, or I'm going to follow the other. And God is saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to stop. I want you to repent. I want you to turn. And I want you to follow me. Many believe but they don't follow. What do we call someone who says one thing and does another? Nobody knows? Hypocrite. What's the most common descriptions, description of Christians in the church in America? Hypocrite. We say one thing we do another. I say I believe Jesus Christ. I say He's my Savior. But, you know, I follow Him sometime, part of the time, you know, when it feels good to me and when it's comfortable for me, I'll follow Him. But if we don't believe Him and follow Him, then we are, then we're just hypocrites. And if we don't believe Him and follow Him, then you really don't believe Him. There's no way you can follow if you don't believe, and there's no way that you believe if you don't follow. It has to go together. And so Jesus is not just Savior, but He's Lord. Jesus saves us. He gives us salvation. But He also has this title of Lord. And we say Lord, and sometimes we think that means God, but Lord means literally my Master. Jesus has bought us. God has bought us with His price. He paid His Son. His Son came. His Son was our advocate. He went in our place. His Son died the death that we deserve because of the life that we've lived. And God bought us. We're His. We're not our own. He adopted us. We're his sons and daughters. He says, you're mine now. And when we say Lord, we say, it's your agenda. It's whatever you have for me. You are Lord. I'm going to follow you. You are Lord. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to trust what you say. And I'm going to act based upon it. By faith, I'm going to trust you, God. Because you're Lord. You've saved me and you're Lord. And you can't be one or the other. He has to be both. So he sets the agenda. What's the agenda for us? The agenda is love. God came after us because of His mercy and in love. And so His agenda for us is love. It all comes down to love. If we keep, if we actually love God because of what He's done for us, if we love God because of the grace He's shown us and because we repented and we were following Him, then our, our job is to love Him. And if we love Him, then we, what did we learn in 1 John? Then we would actually keep His commandments. We'd actually be obedient to Him. And what does it mean to be obedient to God? What does it mean to follow His commandments? If you had to say two things... How would you love God? How would you obey His commandments? What will we do? So love God and love our neighbor. Love God, love people. It's as simple as that. When Jesus was approached and He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? This was Jesus' response. Look at Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And He said to him, this is Jesus talking. He was talking to a Pharisee. And he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. In verse 39, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. We would love God, and we would love people. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're following Him, then your agenda is to love God and to love people. But I think we... Don't necessarily understand love. What did John tell us about love? And First John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. That love, love does not always feel great. Love does not always comfortable. Love always involves sacrifice. Love, the, the easiest definition of love, I've told you guys before, and, I, and I, just, I see this over and over again, love is you before me. Love is you before me. So love is God, God, you before me. That's how I love you, God, is you are before me. And then this is how I love the others around me, As I say you before me. That's how we love God, and that's how we love others. Love always involves sacrifice. So how is that shown in your life? How, is your, how in your life do you practically put God before yourself? And how in your life do you practically put others before yourself? When you make decisions, when you respond, when you act, who are you thinking about? Who is in first place? Who are you considering? You or God? You or others? It's that simple. That's how we love God. That's how we love others. But before you guys start thinking about all the ways that you're sacrificing, and you start to go through the list, and you might be feeling good. Well, I, I do this, I do that. All these things that I do, and I sacrifice You know, for others. I sacrifice for God. I want to ask you, do you have joy? Do you have joy as you make those sacrifices? Because love is not a joyless sacrifice. We have to have joy as we sacrifice. And how do I have joy as I I sacrifice? Well, I have joy because I see the joy in God when I respond to him when I'm obedient to him when I put God before myself before myself and I sacrifice it it creates joy in God and I have joy because he has joy when I take care of others when I put others before myself I see their joy and my joy is in their joy as I'm able to sacrifice and love on them if we love according to how God wants us to love it will be with joy sacrifice with joy and sacrifice that results in joy If you're sacrificing and you don't have joy, you're not sacrificing in the right way. It's not love. You can't have joy unless you are loving in a sacrificial way. And if you focus on yourself, you'll actually lose joy. If anybody has focused on their self, if anyone has just taken care of them, let me know if you found joy. Let me know if you have just me, 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 me. Tell me if you have joy. So it sounds simple. God says, I want you to make disciples who make disciples. I want you to come and I want you to follow Me. To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Him. We do that by grace, through faith, we're able to enter into this relationship with God. We repent and we turn and we follow Him. And following Him is all about love and if we follow Him in love, it's going to result in this joy as I love God and as I love others. Who doesn't want that? Who wouldn't sign up for that? Who doesn't want to experience that? Who doesn't want to be loved by God and be able to love God in return and be able to love others? Who doesn't want to experience that joy? Who doesn't want to follow Jesus? And that's where God gets to. And that's where Jesus, as he walked with his disciples, he says, wait a minute. Jesus was not a salesman. He was not going to do this bait and switch and say, no, you follow me, all these wonderful things are going to happen. If you follow me, if you love me, all the problems in your life are going to go away and you're going to have all these riches and all these money and all these friends and everything's going to be great and perfect and wonderful. He says, I want you to count the cost. Before you do this, before you repent, before you follow me, you need to count the cost. He gives us full disclosure and he wants us to examine ourselves. So I want you to imagine that you're following Jesus. If you're following Jesus now, that He would turn to you and that He would say these things. And notice that it says here in verse 25, it says that there were great crowds that accompanied Him. Jesus had done all these miracles. Jesus had done all these amazing works. Everybody was talking about Jesus. Everybody was listening to His teaching. And then Jesus turns to them. Now the great crowds accompany Him, verse 25. And He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then he gives explanation in verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and he was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first and deliberate, whether he is able, with ten thousand, to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, he says, So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let me be clear. Jesus is not telling you to hate your mother, your father, your brother. All right? We're not going to go from here and hate them. He's saying, I need to be the highest priority in your life. And the way that you love me, the way that you think about me, the way that you respond to me needs to be so different, so much more than your family, than your brother, than your mother, than your wife, than your children. Like, I've got to be first place and not a close first place. I have to be the top, way ahead of everyone else. I finished the race. I lapped everyone else. I'm so. Everyone else is so far behind me. It looks like you hate them doesn't mean we hate our brothers and sisters. He says, but I have to be first. I have to be the highest priority in your life. If you can't do that, if you don't do that, he says, you cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to pick up your cross, if you're not willing to die to yourself, if you're not willing to quit following your own desires and quit following the things of the world and not willing to follow me as I picked up the cross and as I went to Calvary for you, then you cannot be my disciple. You have to be willing to renounce your entire life. I am not in control. God, you are not just my Savior, but you're also my Lord. And I give you everything. I lay down everything. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to follow you. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And for them, it meant death. For them, it meant that they were going to die. For them, it meant they were going to be cast away from society. And for us, as I was thinking through this, I mean, what does it cost us? How how do we actually deal with that? What does it cost us to be a believer? What does it cost us to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Think for yourself. What does it cost you? And I had a hard time actually coming up with many really tangible things that it cost me to follow Jesus Christ. And on Friday morning, I met uh, Pastor Todd from Cornerstone. I met him at Starbucks. We were having some time together. And he like, I want you to hang around when I'm done. There's going to be this gentleman that's going to come. And I purposely asked him to come after you. Because this guy's going to come and I want you to hear him. I want you to sit with me as we listen to his story. He's like, I purposely put him, I want, I want you to be a part of this. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I've got five minutes because I've got to get to work and I've got this meeting. But then this guy walks in and his name is Pastor. And I have to, Saria, Sur- Pastor Saria." And he is from Nepal. And he walks in, and he starts to talk. And I'm just with my eyes wide open, my mouth dropped, listening to his story, listening to what he's gone through. And five minutes turned to 45 minutes, and I missed my meeting. And I didn't even get to stay stay for the whole story. But as he shared about being a young man growing up in Nepal, where Christianity is illegal. You cannot be a Christian when he was growing up in Nepal. It's illegal. It's against the law. And his brother had come to follow this Jesus. His brother, because he followed Jesus, got kicked out of the house. He was dead to his father. He had to leave. His brother's room remained empty. His dad wouldn't change it. His dad wouldn't do anything to it. He just set it there. They closed the door. He was dead. It was over. His brother was gone. And he talked about how he was following these Hindu gods and all these gods. And finally he lost his faith in these Hindu gods. And he, he talked about this dream that he had where he was in the river with his, with his friends, his childhood friends. And behind him was this figure. And he turned and he saw this man. And he saw this man's face. And they, they, they fled and they ran. And he says, I think this Christian God is pursuing me. And he woke up from that dream and he was fearful and he was scared. And he said, well, I went to my brother's room. I'm like, is this this Christian God? I want to know if this is the Christian God that's pursuing me. And he says like, he went on his bookshelf and he says, I picked the thinnest book, the smallest book I could find because I didn't want to read a thick one. And he says, he opens it up and he turns to the first page. And on the first page, he sees the face of the man that he saw in his dream. And it was Jesus. And he says, this God, this, this Christian God is pursuing me. But he didn't come to Christ then. He came to Christ at another time and it's another story. But for him, when he came to Christ, it meant that he lost his family. It meant that he was kicked out. It meant that he had to go underground. It meant that he had to leave his village and he had to go to Kathmandu. And he wandered for months in Kathmandu until he found this underground church. And then he lived with the church underground until his father came after him to convince him that this Christianity was false. And in convincing him, his father actually came to know the Lord. And his father says, I want you to come back to the village where you were born, and I want you to plant a church in our home. I want you to plant a church in our village. And as he did that, they arrested him politically. They took him away and put him away for months. His daughter, they were trying to kidnap his daughter. Members of their church were kidnapped. And I'm listening to these stories of what it meant for them, what the cost was for them to follow Christ. It was very real. It was very tangible. It it, it impacted every part of his life. Nothing went as normal. He had to give up everything to follow Christ. And as I thought about my life, I'm like, well, what, what am I giving up? What does it really cost me? And I was just struck with that. I didn't know what to do with that. And then I realized, for us, we're not persecuted, for us, it's not illegal to follow Christ. For us, the sacrifice is a little bit, this chip away, day by day, day by day, over and over again. I'm dying to myself, over and over again. It's this long endurance race that little bit by little bit, I have to die to myself. He made one decision, and all these things happen as a result of that decision. They happen quickly and immediately. And he had to decide, Am I truly going to follow Christ? And we have to truly decide, Are we going to follow Christ day by day, relationship by relationship? What am I going to choose to do? Am I going to choose to follow Him? Am I going to choose to die to myself? And so that's what I want us to do. This morning, I want us to count the cost. We have this call that God has given us. He called us to come and to follow Him. He called us by grace and through faith to walk with Him. He says, but I want you to count the cost. And What does that mean for us? What does that mean? for Living Stones. What does that mean? Do you guys have a better strategy than to do this, that we would be about discipleship? That this is the strategy that God has given us. This is a strategy that Jesus communicated. And this is what we're to be about. And I don't know another way to do it. And we're not going to do it another way. And this is not going to be a program. And we're not going to do discipleship now and a little bit later try and do discipleship again. This is what we have to be about. That we're going to be a church of disciples. And if you're part of this family and if you want to be in Living Stones, then that's what I'm asking you. Count the cost. Are you willing to give away? Are you willing to renounce your life? Are you willing to follow Jesus at any cost? Because that's what discipleship is. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. That's what he's commanded us to do. That's what it means to be and to make disciples. Is to put it all down. Is to follow him day by day. Sacrificing again and again and again. In love. And that will bring us joy as we do that together. But we have to do that together. We have to do that in a community. We have to do that collectively. As we talked about the mission statement. We don't do that on our own. So you have to be willing to die to yourself and walk with your brothers and sisters as we demonstrate and proclaim the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ by being and making disciples. I don't know exactly what that's going to mean. God doesn't show us everything that it's going to cost us, but I promise it will cost us. I promise that it won't be easy. And I really, from the bottom of my heart, I'm asking you guys, like, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to be all in, then I would ask you, then go find another church. And I mean that with love, I mean that with sincerity. but like I don't want to waste my time with people that don't want to follow Christ. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow Christ, come and let's do it together. If you don't, if you're not sure about it, if you well you know part- time, half time, sometimes I'll follow Christ, then I don't know what to do because I don't see any, any other option. And I say that in love. I say that because I love you guys. I say that because as I'm supposed to pastor you according to the Word of God, as I'm supposed to share according to the authority of the Word, that's all I see. That's the only choice that I see. And if that means that next week we come back and there's ten people here, then we'll go on with ten people. And that will be fine. And that will be good. And we will be faithful to that. And if that means that no one comes back, we'll shut the doors and we'll go start another church. But we have to be disciples who will make disciples. We have to follow Jesus Christ. And if you're not willing to do that, then we're not willing to follow. We don't do that in our own strength. We do that by faith. But that's what I see. And I don't know any other way to say it. And so as we go through this book, it's an opportunity for us to count the cost. It's an opportunity for us to consider what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to walk in this community of the church? What authority does God's word have in our lives? That's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. That's what we're going to consider as a family, as a church, as a body. I want you guys to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. We're going to have to encourage each other through that. We're going to have to do that together and count the cost together, sacrifice together, love God together, and love one another together. And so what I wanted to do in response to the message
1: is that
0: we would pray. Uh, we wouldn't pray before, but we'd pray after. That we'd pray about this call of the discipleship. We'd pray about this, this mission to be and to make disciples. We'd pray about making the supremacy and the worth of Jesus Christ known and proclaimed in this neighborhood. That we would speak it with our mouths and that we would demonstrate it with our lives. That we'd be able to speak of Jesus and we'd be able to show Jesus. And so we're going to do that together in our time of prayer right now, in response. And so as we always do in prayer, if you'd like to pray, please just raise your hand. You can pray in English or Spanish, whichever you prefer, and Grace will interpret to the other language. Uh, And then when we're done, I will finish and we will close in worship. We'll start in prayer. Father God, please. Lord, please transform us. Lord, I pray by Your Spirit that You would allow us to see the truth of Your Word. That by Your Spirit, Lord, our hearts will be transformed. Lord, that by Your Spirit we would be empowered to follow You. Lord, that by faith we would follow You, Father, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we think, regardless of the situation, Father, we would trust Your Word. we say, this is Your plan for us, Father. This is what You've shown to us, Lord. This, this is Your mission. This is what You have for us. This is a purpose for us, Lord, is to be and to make disciples, Lord. I pray that we would not come up with a different plan. That we would not speak back to You and complain and whine and, 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 and argue, Father. But We'd say, no, this is Your plan, Father. It's good. We'll trust You. But we know this is for your glory and this is for our good. So, Lord, help us to lay down our lives, Father. Lord, show us what we hold on to. Lord, and allow us to let go of it. Lord, work in our hearts right now. Work in our lives, Father. And I pray that you would work in this body, in this church, Father. Lord, I pray that Living Stones would be a church of disciples, Father. A church of followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, and as we are disciples and as we make disciples, Lord, that Lord, we would just scream of how wonderful you are and scream of how you are a priority, Lord. You're the greatest priority. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for allowing us to participate in this, Lord. Thank you for calling us, Lord, asking us, telling us to repent, Father, and turn and to follow you.
1: Lord, continue
0: to give us faith. We ask this in Jesus' name.